Scripture reading this morning is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. That's on page uh, 1087 in the Pew Bible, continuing on 1088. Again, Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It does encourage us that you're here and we want to be an encouragement to you. Uh, we're thinking about some things that are coming up that all of us need to know about, and especially if you're married and at one time in your life you said, I do, we want to encourage you to say, I still do. And we're having a marriage seminar, not this weekend, but next weekend. It's August the 16th, Friday night from 7 to 10, and then Saturday morning from 8 till noon. And the goal of this is to preserve our marriages and talk about struggles that we face. Lonnie Jones has been invited to come in and to teach this seminar. Lonnie is a marriage counselor and he's worked with youth and family ministries for 32 years. And any of you that have heard Lonnie speak, you know that he is quite a capable speaker, just a tremendous dynamic speaker and does a great job teaching uh, from God's Word, the principles of His Word in a way that we know how to apply them to our life once we've listened to His lessons. And so you won't want to miss this. There are uh, these brochures at the Information Center, and uh, it also has a place for you to register for that in there. And so please be sure and do that soon and make plans and also help us get the Word out. This is open to anyone, uh, even from other congregations or of course from the community of people that would want to come and be a part of it. Also, you remember that uh, a few weeks ago, we had a photo shoot where we're trying to update our family tree, and it was tremendous. So many of you came by uh, to do that, and we thank you. There'll be a few more Sundays throughout this calendar year, and the hope is that everyone will get their photo updated and, uh, and in family tree. And all you have to do is walk by, get your picture made, and walk out. There's nothing to preview. There's nothing to purchase. It's really that simple. And so the pictures are being taken uh, downstairs uh, today and on the inside of your bulletin are the details about what time that is and where that is and etc. And so be sure and uh, do that today or if not, be sure and look at the couple of other Sundays that's coming up and uh, please help us with that. That is a tremendous uh, blessing and benefit as a tool that we can use in God's service. You remember sometime maybe as a kid you were out uh, playing at a neighbor's home or maybe you were down at a park and of course you were playing, you were doing something that you enjoyed that you wanted to continue to do and, and one of your siblings came by and, and they said to you, hey, you have to go home. And your next words were, says who? Because after all, you're enjoying what you're doing. 
It's going to take somebody with authority to get you to leave. And so you got a lot hinging on this answer. Because if it's your brother or sister saying, hey, I, I said for you to go home, you're going to say, you go home. I'm staying here and finishing basketball game. But if you have a healthy relationship with your parents, the words at that moment you didn't want to hear were, mama said, come home right now. That's at the time where you have to say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to go home right now. Do you realize that there are a lot of things that God calls us to do? A lot of things that he calls us not to do. That at the moment, those are not the words we wanted to hear. There are things by the flesh that would have great pleasure for the season. That whenever we hear God saying, don't do those things. Or I do want you to do these things. That our fleshly nature would naturally cry out, says who? Over the next three Sundays, we're going to look at some cultural issues that many in our culture would never agree with. And the only reason if anyone here would agree with all of them and would practice them in their life would probably only be because God has said so. Last week, we looked at who do you love? Do you love the world? And if you love the world, you cannot have the love of the Father, 1 John. And today we're going to look at this topic to take it one step further and then we're diving right into those specific lessons of the battle that we fight in culture. But if we're in the depths of the world and we're deciding to leave the world, it's only because the Lord has called us out of the world. Do you know that the word ecclesia, the idea of the church, is a group that has been called together. When we are the Lord's church, that's ownership. When we are a group that has been called together, owned by the Lord, we are the Lord's church. It means that we have been called out of the world and we have been called into Christ Jesus. That ownership is very important for us to understand because that ownership carries with it authority. And so when someone says, hey, you need to do this, it's perfectly acceptable to say, says who? As a matter of fact, we'd be very foolish if we didn't ask, says who? Is this something you're giving me your opinion or is this something that the Lord has said? I want to know, says who? When we look at the book of Revelation, it is a powerful study. Now, I know that there are many things in the book of Revelation that can be very confusing, especially upon a light read. But simply because some of the signs and symbols there are a little bit harder to understand exactly what is meant, please do not discard the book. The book is a powerful book. And I, I want to give you in, in just a, a moment's time here, a brief synopsis of this book in the sense of, of the theme of it. It's toward the end of the first century. The Christians were already beginning to suffer some persecution, but that was going to escalate tremendously. We hear the expression like blood in the streets. Listen, it wasn't even hardly an expression in that day and time. It was a reality of the days that were coming that there was going to be blood in the streets. Whose blood is that? More Christians were killed today. Listen, Christians weren't going to die by five or 10 here or there or a hundred over there. History tells us that there were probably tens of thousands of Christians that would die toward the end of the first century by the oppression and the persecution of the Roman church. You know what our human nature is going to say. 
Our human nature is going to look at that and say, look, evil is winning out over righteousness. Satan is defeating God and his people. And so John is given a book to write and to deliver to the people to say, listen, you need to see the big picture. Even though for a moment and in the physical body, there's going to be some temporary losses in the big scheme, the victory is still Jesus Christ victory. And anyone who continues to stand with Jesus will ultimately reign. But if you get caught up in the moment and you listen to all of the fleshly thinking and the fleshly power of the moment and the temporary, the earthly, the fleshly and the carnal things, if you listen to those, you're going to get called off the course. You're going to leave Jesus Christ. And so he writes some things. I assure you, in some ways, were not easy to hear, but in other ways, they were so encouraging because it reminds them and us today as we read it where the victory is. How long will it be before the church is persecuted in America? Probably a lot sooner than what a lot of us believe. How great is the persecution going to be? We don't know. But the question is, what are you going to do when it comes? Whenever for us to be able to open up the Bible and preach Romans 1 is considered, it's considered a, a passage against civil rights. And whoever preaches it is going to go to prison. Whoever teaches it is going to lose their job at work or at school. Whoever stands for it is going to have friends in the community that will not talk to them again. Whoever owns a business, you won't have as many customers after you teach Romans 1. What are you going to do? It makes all the difference if we know who we are and who owns us and what has he said. And where will we stand? Romans, the first, Revelation, the first chapter, verse 1. We have told us that this message came from God to Christ. Christ gave the message to an angel. The angel gave a vision of this message to John, the apostle. And John wrote it down and he delivered it to seven other messengers that would take it to the seven churches of Asia. In Revelation 1 and 3, we learn that they, in their day and time, and us today, anyone who reads this revelation will be blessed if we read it and heed it and learn from it and obey it. Revelation 1 and 4, we learn exactly who it was that this was addressed to in its context. It was addressed to the seven churches of Asia, and they're listed there. In verse 5, we're reminded again of it's from whom. This is a message. Says who? Says who? Jesus Christ said it. It comes with great weight. It comes with great authority. This isn't a message where just somebody that lives down the street said it. One of your siblings said it. Some Roman emperor said it. No, this is from Jesus Christ himself. And on this next 
slide, we have a picture of a map and you see there's an arrow that's pointing to a little bitty island. John was on that island because he was in exile. It was a part of the persecution that he was experiencing right then. So you can imagine how this book that's saying, listen, even though it may, f may not feel like it right now, Jesus Christ has won the victory. Stay with him and ultimately you're going to be okay. Not necessarily on this earth. You may not be okay on this earth, but ultimately you will be okay for an eternity. And so he's on this little island in exile of Patmos and he receives this and he receives this message that he has to get to seven other congregations of the Lord's church that are identified there as stars on that particular map. And of course, all of those seven churches were in Asia. And there is a pattern to each of the seven churches we're not beginning a series this morning on the seven churches. I do look forward to sometime next year us doing a series on the seven churches because it's powerful. We learn a lot about what God expects out of his people in, in this series. But just for what it's worth, when we see the pattern of the seven churches here, we see first there's a salutation and a greeting in each one of them. And then second, there is a description of Jesus. Now this is real important to what we're going to do the rest of our time this morning. In other words, he begins every one of those letters by saying, let me tell you who this is from. We've already talked about how important it is. He's going to talk about some things that, that they wouldn't want to hear. And so they're going to want to know who's saying this. He's going to give some great compliments, commendation, but he's also going to give condemnation. He's going to identify some characteristics that are within those congregations to say, here's some things that are wrong. And when he does that, he's also going to give warnings and threats. He's going to talk about how they're going to lose their lampstand, how they're going to lose their place in the Lord's kingdom, how they're going to lose their soul. And because of that, he's going to exhort them. You can overcome the Greek word night from the, the, the sports apparel. It's a Greek word that, that means to overcome. And we see that word over and over with the seven churches of Asia. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's some things you're doing well. Here's some things that are going horribly wrong. And if you do not repent and if you do not change them, it's not going to be good. But you can overcome. You can repent. You don't have to stay in this situation. You can be a victor. And that's really what the theme of Revelation is. It's a book about victory. Are you going to overcome? The only way we can do that is to stand with the one who has overcome. And then he closes with a promise for everyone that overcomes. Each of the seven churches are given a different promise. Now, I, I want you to think for just a moment again, and I know I'm kind of like beating a, a, a point here and pounding it over and over, but this is so important for our study today. As we've already said, there's going to be several times that he says things that people wouldn't want to hear. And so each time at that second point there of the description of Jesus, he is introducing himself in a way that would give credence to the fact of, I have authority to say this to you today. Over the next few weeks, when we study some of the cultural issues that definitely are things that we battle with, we're fleshly in nature and we battle with these things. There will be things that some of us will hear and our fleshly nature will say, I don't want to hear that. And we need to pause at that time and say, but who's saying it? And we need to think about some of these descriptions of Jesus. It's Jesus saying this. Well, who is Jesus? If I ask you right now to get out a piece of paper and just list several things, uh, the characteristics of Jesus that you would describe to answer the question, who is Jesus? Some of the descriptions that he uses of the 
to describe himself in the seven letters to the seven churches of, of Asia? Probably not many of us here would have any of those descriptions on the list. We might have a few, but a lot of us wouldn't have any. But that's why we need to study it. Who is Jesus? Who would Jesus say that he is? Now, obviously, uh, we won't be able to go over the seven churches this morning. Let's try to, to go over uh, three of them in the time that we have. And even in that, we can't go over everything that's taught in them. But we're going to especially see how did Jesus introduce himself? Because it makes a difference who says it. Let's go to the second chapter in verse one. We will have that that's on the screen now, but I'm gonna to refer to some other verses. So if you don't have your Bible open, you might want to open to Revelation two because we're gonna look at other verses right here in this paragraph that's not on the screen. He's writing to the church of Ephesus. Let's read this, this first verse. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says who? Says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden, or the seven golden lampstands. Now, if you do have your Bible open, the previous verse was the first chapter in verse 20. In the first chapter in verse 20, he clearly identifies what that symbolism is there. And at the end of verse 20, he says, that the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. So the seven stars that he's holding in his right hand are the angels. And by the way, the word angel means messenger. And I know that to you and I today, it seems rare for the word angel to be used to describe someone who is a human. But most scholars agree that when, when John wrote this, this letter, and he delivered it to seven angels that were to stand up before the congregations locally and read it. Most scholars agree that that wasn't a heavenly host angel. That that was probably the preacher there. It was probably one of the elders there. There was some messenger that he handed this off and that messenger was to deliver it. Now, if in your mind or if you're looking back at, Rome, at Revelation, the first chapter in verse one, you remember that God gave Christ a message and Christ gave it to an angel. That's a heavenly host angel there. And that angel gave a vision to John. But, but here, when we get to this point of it, we've got, we, we have this messenger this messenger that there's seven stars. Each of these messengers represent a star. And, and he's saying, I have that in my right hand. And then the lampstands, we just read in verse 20 of the first chapter, the lampstands, each lampstand is a congregation of the Lord's people. Isn't that interesting? Because what a lampstand does, a lampstand takes the light and holds it up. You imagine if a lampstand was sitting here and, and we know that we're not supposed to take the light of Jesus Christ and hide it under a bushel according to the Sermon on the Mount. And so now Jesus is saying what we're to do is not hide it, we're to hold it up. Who's to hold it up? He says, that's what my church is. My church is made up of people who have been called out, ecclesia. They've been called out of the world to hold up the light of Christianity. And he's writing this to people that if they're holding up the light of Christianity, they're going to be persecuted. And so do you see what he's doing here? Right out of the gate in the book of Revelation, he's saying, you're going to be tempted to take your light off of the lampstand and hide it. But that's not who you are as a church. 
If you are part of the Lord's church, you keep the lampstand upright and bright. Now, that's why we come to verse 2 and 3, and he starts with, I know. And he gives the church at Ephesus great compliments here. He talks about knowing their work, knowing their, the labor that they do, knowing their patience or perseverance. He talks also about them knowing the scripture that they can identify false apostles and they label them as liars. And he even closes verse three by saying that they have not become weary in it. You know, the church at Ephesus by this time is several decades old. It's not a first generation church anymore. And isn't it interesting that we read about this grand church beginning at the book of Acts. We read about it in the book letter of Ephesians. We read about it in a sense by Paul writing to Timothy in first and second Timothy, because that's where Timothy was the preacher when he was reading this. And now we read about this church. If we're on a timeline, we read about Acts here. If we're on a timeline, we've gone a few decades later and now we're reading about it here. And what has, what has happened during this time? They have not grown weary they're still hard workers. They're still studying the truth and they're still teaching the truth and they're still identifying false teaching and saying we won't accept it. But then we come to the following verse and we hear something that must have been very difficult for them to hear about themselves in verse four. Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love in other words, if you went back to them in the beginning of their relationship with Jesus Christ and like in Acts the 19th chapter when they brought their, their books of witchcraft and all of that and they put a pile of them together and they were turning away from that life and they were turning to Christ and they burned 50,000 pieces of silver's worth of books. That's a lot of money. That is a genuine repentance. And you could have gone to them at that point in time and said, why are you doing this? And they would have said, because we love Jesus. They would go out and do good works. Why are you doing it? We love Jesus. They were studying the truth. Why are you doing it? Because we love Jesus. They were fighting false teaching. Why are you doing it? Because we love Jesus. Somewhere along the way. Now, isn't this amazing? In, in a sad way. Isn't this convicting? Is it convicting? That here these individuals did not lose the actions. They continued to go out and do good. They continued to study the truth. They continued to fight false teachers. But now you get a few decades down the road and their motive for doing it has changed. Now they're not doing it any longer because they love Jesus. He doesn't tell us why they're doing it now. We can guess. Well, that's just the religion I am. Well, where I go to church, that's just what we do. Where I, where I go to church, we fill in the blank. We do this good ministry. We take care of these people. Where I go to church, we study the Bible. Where I go to church, if someone's teaching something that's not in the Bible, we take a stand against it. Why? In the following verse, Jesus is going to say, if you don't repent quickly, I'm going to remove the lampstand from you. Brethren, I need to let this settle in deep. I can do all the right things as a church family in actions. I can go out and teach the truth. I can stand opposed to false teachings. And Jesus says, I will not allow you to continue to be my church. I'll take away your candle stand if you do not do it because you love me. 
What have you done this past week? Because you love Jesus. What have you done to nurture the relationship that you have with God the Father? He never belittles the importance of ministry. He never belittles the importance of truth. But he says, if you're going to do it without that love for the first love, that love for Jesus Christ, it is for naught. Now, you can imagine if someone sent a letter, because keep in mind, we're not reading a fairy tale. There was a day that someone in the church of Ephesus, and it was probably on a Lord's Day, where someone walked up in front of the church of Ephesus and they said, we got an important letter that I need to read to you this morning. It's a letter inspired by God. The message was sent to the great apostle John. John has given me this letter and I need to read it to you. And he would have opened up Revelation. And then, I don't know if he said this, but you can imagine him saying, now I'm not gonna get very far into this letter. And he's gonna say something specifically to us as a congregation. Can you imagine that? And can you imagine when he gets to that first part that says, you're doing so well. Your works, your labor, you, you fight the false doctrine, you don't grow weary in it. You can imagine they're just wanting to pat themselves on the backs. Oh, we're doing so good. And then he says, nevertheless, I have something against you. You've left your first love. What would be your inclination at that point? Who did you say wrote this letter? Where's this letter from? Well, let's go back and let's answer it. Let's just pretend at that point they spoke out and whoever the messenger was, they said, whoa, whoa, stop reading right there. Go back earlier and tell us again who sent this lesson. And so let's go back up in verse one there and let's see who sent it. These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Who sent this letter? It's the one that he is so powerful, he can hold this message that he's sending, his right hand's his strong hand symbolically. And the word hold there is not just possessed, that would be another Greek word. The, the word hold here is tight grip. In other words, he's saying the strong one that holds these seven stars, he's got a grip on this message. It's not going to let loose. In other words, this message is for those that are living at the end of the first century. And this message is for those that are living at the beginning of the 21st century. This is a powerful message that Christ has a grip on. Okay, so who are you giving us this message? Christ says, I need you to know that I'm the one that has the power to hold this message and I hold it tightly, implying you ought to hold it tightly also. But number two, he says, let me tell you who else I am. I'm the one that stands in the midst of the candlesticks. And what's the candlesticks? The congregations. Brethren, let this sink in. He says, I can say the very next words because his next words were, I know your works. Jesus, how, how do you know our works? You're kidding, right? No, Jesus, how do you know our works? He said, you know that I'm in the midst of you right now. When you parked and walked in the building, who did you walk in the midst of? You say, well, I, I walked in with so-and-so or so-and-so. You walked in with Jesus too. Jesus in the, in the midst of his church. He doesn't have to say, let me get a report about how the Mount Juliet Church of Christ is doing. He's in the midst of us. 
He doesn't have to say, I speculate that the Mount Julia Church of Christ might be going through this. He knows he's in the midst of us. He will know every word that is taught from the pulpit and in every Bible class today. And everyone that has ever been taught over the last 120 some odd years and will be taught until he comes again. Jesus is in the midst of us. He knows the hearts of our elders and of our deacons. And those that were just baptized this past week, he knows who they are. He knows the love that they have. Nobody has a report to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you know how much they love you? He knows. And we're not just the church when we come inside of a building. The called out are those that have been called out to devote their life. We are the church at work. We are the church when we're at home. We are the church when we go to school. We are the church everywhere we go. And you know where Jesus is? He's in the midst of us. I need to know, says who? It's the one who loves me so much he would die for me. And he walks with me every step of the way. There is nothing we could tell Jesus about the Mount Juliet Church of Christ that he doesn't already know. And everything that we do, we need to do knowing that he is in the midst of us. I want to show you a second thing, and time will not permit for us to just really go into great detail. But you see there in verse 8, we have the church of Smyrna. And the way he identifies himself is by saying, These things say the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Why would he introduce himself as the first and the last one who's dead and came to life? Well, we get an insight to what the church of Smyrna is already starting to go through and soon will go through. Look at verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. He's speaking in future tense. In other words, it's about to get a lot worse. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. It's probably not a literal 10 days. It's probably a set time that they're going to have. And so, so his answer to them is, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. You know, this, I, this notion, if you'll just become a Christian, your life on earth becomes so much better. Find that in the Bible. If you'll just become a Christian, the Lord will just really take care of you. Find that in the Bible. If you're talking about the physical body, find in the body, you become a Christian and everything gets easier on this earth. What you can find in the Bible is that you become a Christian and you still live in a fleshly body and you still live on a world that is ruled by carnal nature. And there will be people that will love to see Christians suffer. And you're living in a body, it'll still catch a cold, it'll still get disease, and it'll still die. You're living on an earth that will still have accidents and it'll still have tragedy. God never promises fleshly reward for becoming a Christian. We've said it over and over because our theme this year is so focused. But I want to remind you of Matthew 10 and verse 28. Do not fear those who kill the body. Notice he didn't say, just become a follower of mine and nobody will kill your body. He says, they're going to kill your body. Do not fear those that kill your body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Lord, what do you want us to be concerned about? I want you to be concerned about the soul. What if a man gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Lord, what do you want us to do? We're the church of Smyrna and it looks like things are getting worse. He says, let me write you a letter. You think things are bad now? They're about to get a lot worse. 
Some of you are going to go to prison. And then he implies some of you aren't going to make it through alive. How did he imply that? He says, be thou faithful until death. In other words, when you breathe your last breath, instead of giving up and pleading, I deny Jesus, let me live. You breathe that last breath faithful as they plunge that sword through your heart. Says who? You want me to stand for a cause and watch my family be executed for a cause? Says who? Let me introduce myself, Jesus says. I am in the beginning and I am in the end. He wasn't created, he already existed. And when everything else on this earth falls, he's still going to be around. In other words, what he's implying to those in that day and time, and we can make application to us today, what he's saying is, you think Rome is all that big and bad? Let me remind you that I was around long before Rome ever had any power. And you think that they are so strong that they will never fall? Let me remind you, Jesus says, me and my people and my cause will be around a lot longer than the Roman Empire will be around. So you expect me to die for this. Who are you? And Jesus would say, I'm the one who is dead and now I've been resurrected from life. That's why in verse eight, he introduces himself that way. He's saying, I want you to know I'm deity. I want you to know that I have power over death. I want you to know that on this earth, there are going to be so many things that rise and fall. But if you take your stand with me, you may fall physically, but you will never fall throughout an eternity. You will stand in the presence of the Lord. That's why verse 10 closes, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee a crown of life. The crown was the victor's crown. You let them kill you, but making your stand with me, they will throw up their hands and say, we've defeated another Christian. But what they don't know is that another Christian is throwing up their hands in the other side and saying, I've won. The victory is mine. The crown has been given. It's so easy for us to get wrapped up in earthly living where everything we see and everything we think and even the guides that we look to, the compass that we look to, the words that we listen to is all this earthly talk. And Jesus pleads throughout the New Testament in the book of Revelation and he's pleading to us through these writings today to say, lift up your eyes. Be careful who you listen to. Always ask the question, says who? This morning, I hope we know Jesus. I don't mean intellectually. I don't mean that you can say, oh sure, I know that there was this guy from Nazareth and he was born and he had a, a, made a big impact upon the world and a lot of people. No, do you know him? Do you know that he's the one that has power over the, the dead? Do you know that he's before and after, that he is eternal, that he's deity? Do you know that he's the one that he is present and he is perceptive? He's right in our midst. Do you know his powerful message that he holds with his right hand, a grip that will never turn loose? Has he changed your life? 
Has he changed the destination of your soul? Every power that has ever risen upon this earth has fallen except Christ. Every power that has ever risen upon this earth has fallen except Christ. Do you know him? If you've not become a child of God, a Christian, baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, to commit and devote your life to the one who has the authority to speak to us, why not do that this morning as a believer willing to repent and confess? Maybe you've begun that journey and along the way you started listening to other things. Maybe you've just gotten discouraged. Maybe there's been pain and disappointment in your life and it's easy to not think clearly. Listen, brethren. We all have been there and we all have made mistakes, but what we also have to do is that someday we have to take responsibility and say, I repent. I'm going to come back to the Lord. And this morning, I don't say this to be cute. I say it from the context of what we've just read. Do not leave here this morning a loser. The victory belongs to those who have linked their life with Christ. Overcome the losses through Christ.